This is Shifting Our Schools episode 104. Mr. Gibbs, when are you going to start teaching again? The yeah. one thing that I've picked up on since I've began doing this more, and this is a surprise to me when I first started doing it, here was my assumption as a teacher that's going into project-based learning. Here's what I thought. Oh, the kids are going to love it because it's better than I know what the alternative is. Of course, they don't know what the alternative is. Sure. So they're, auto they're automatically bought in. And they yeah. were as far as the engagement of the technology goes. But what I learned is, and now it seems so obvious, but like projects are hard. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for tuning in and listening this week. For the entire month of December, you can enter to win a whole lot of Flipgrid stickers and a couple of Flipgrid magnets for your whiteboard to use in your classroom or to use with teachers if you're a coach. How do you enter to win, you ask? Well, it's pretty simple. To enter your name to win, there are two really easy ways to do it. First, you can head over to our sospodcast.org website and at the top click on the link flipgrid that will take you to our flipgrid topic where you can leave your answer to this episode or any of the episodes in the month of December to enter to win these flipgrid stickers you will also find a video there that I recorded and I'm going to try to update it because the audio doesn't seem to be very well uh, but I kind of show off the stickers and I even found I didn't know I had these a couple of magnets that can go on your whiteboard uh, that you can use with students so we're giving away a whole bunch of stickers and some magnets for you and all you have to do is be a part of our community over on flipgrid so you can go to sosflipgrid.org click on flipgrid at the top and boom you're there to leave your flipgrid response or you can download the Flipgrid app to your phone and enter the code SOS podcast and boom, you're on our grid and you can answer the question right from your phone. We love using Flipgrid here at Shifting Our Schools because it's a great app to use with students. Therefore, it's a great app to use and help us all learn how to use a little bit better as teachers. Last week, we had two listeners leave their responses to last week's question. Teresa shares some strategies she uses as a tech coach with her teachers, and Cassie does the same, as well as asks some support from the community. Here's what Teresa had to say. Hi, I'm Teresa. I'm a tech coach in Pennsylvania. I am listening to episode 103 about coaching multiple buildings, multiple teachers, and I just find this topic fascinating because this year I went from being a middle school technology coach the past two years to being the district-wide technology coach, kindergarten through 12, four buildings. So one way to build relationships was for me to visit classrooms, have meetings, talk with teachers, and find out what exactly they needed from me as their coach. I sent out a Google form, which I called the teacher needs survey, and asked them to give me a few focus areas, and then invited them to have kind of a tea with me, like sit down, have an iced tea, have a cup of tea, have a glass of water and a little snack, and then just kind of discuss some of the challenges that they're facing in their classroom, set a goal and pick one way that technology might be able to help them with their issues. I started to badge teachers by hanging a chart outside of their classroom and offering them badges every time they use technology in, a, in an impactful way. Those badges sparked conversations within their department and within the whole school. And then teachers started inviting me into their classrooms. And so far, that's worked for me. 
I love how Teresa focuses on building relationships with her teachers. Here's what we know. Being a good tech coach has little to do with knowing technology and has everything to do with building relationships. Some great examples from Teresa on how she focuses on relationships first to get inside the doors of classrooms to help and support teachers and coaching opportunities. Now let's hear from Cassie and here's what Cassie has to say with her response to last week's question. Hello all, I'm Cassie, um, I'm an instructional tech coach. Um, I just got done listening to episode 103, um, which is cool because um, I like to hear from a tech coach in Papanish and Sunnyside, which is just right down the road. Um, so that was really cool and I really um, identified with the struggle of being the only tech coach that works with um, a lot of buildings, a lot of teachers, a lot of students. Um, this is my second year in the position and I'm definitely becoming more comfortable with that. Um, but I have, I have some struggles. I really identified with um, the way you talked about reaching out to teachers um, through like a monthly newsletter or app or a strategy of the month. Um, that's really cool. I also hold sessions after school um, to reach teachers. Um, we're very limited after school though, which is always another struggle. Uh, my sessions tend to um, range between five and 15 teachers, usually the same ones each time who um, are really interested in integrating tech in meaningful ways in their classrooms, but I'm still looking for ways to reach more. Um, something that I really struggle with though and love some help with if you got any, um, is not having students in my position. So I, I love helping teachers and students with new tools and strategies, but to not use those with students myself is always a struggle. Um, so if you have any tips or tricks on that one, let me know. Um, and I look forward to the next podcast. Great question, Cassie. As a coach, how do you stay connected to students and be able to try new tools out? For me, I used to find my teacher. You mentioned you hold after-school trainings and get the same five or so teachers to show up, which is great. I call these teachers my scouts, or we can call them early adopters. I'm always looking for my teachers who are scouts that are willing to go out, see if that app or technology is worth going, and lead the way for the rest of us. So I try to find a couple of teachers that you can build that rapport, that relationship with, and then when you find something new, when you find a good website or you find a good app that you know you have teachers in your back pocket that you can send a quick email to say, hey, I just found, for example, Flipgrid. Do you mind trying this with, do you mind trying this with your students? I, can I come in your classroom and just demo this real quick and see if kids like it? I try to find those teachers uh, when I was at a school that I could count on to do this. So for example, I have one teacher and she's a really great friend of mine. Chrissy Hellier was a fifth grade teacher the last time I was a elementary tech coach. And I just knew that I could send Chrissy anything and Chrissy would try it. Like she was my go-to scout. And I, there were so many times where I was like, oh my gosh, I just learned about this thing on Twitter. Can I come into your classroom? And she always had an open door policy with me. She was my scout to figure out what worked, what didn't work. We debrief afterwards. You find those geeky teachers and you find a way to get inside those classrooms and get in front of those kids. That's a strategy that I used. If you have other strategies that you use that you'd like to share with Cassie and the rest of us, if you could head over to Flipgrid and leave your video, you can either leave a video comment directly to Cassie and just click on the comment there on Cassie's video and leave her a comment or record a new video on some strategies that you use. How do you stay relevant? How do you find a group of kids that you can test this stuff out on? And again, you can share that over uh, at our Shifting Our Schools Flipgrid by going to SOS 
podcast.org, clicking on Flipgrid at the top or downloading the app and putting in the code SOS Flipgrid. Thank you to Teresa and Cassie for sharing your thoughts and both of you for are now entered to win our Flipgrid stickers for your school. This week in our conversation, we talk about setting your classroom up early in the year or at the beginning of semester for success by putting the time in early to create your learning system. For example, our guest this week has a technology checklist that he uses for all of his students and makes all of his students go through on the first day of class. With a new semester just around the corner this week, our question is, what do you do at the beginning of the school year or the beginning of semester to create a learning system with your students to create success the rest of the semester or the rest of the year? Again, that question is, what do you do at the beginning of the school year or the beginning of semester to create a learning system with your students to create success for the rest of the semester or the rest of the school year? Again, head over to our Flipgrid and leave your response to share your system with the community and enter to win those Flipgrid stickers. This week, Chris Butler and I chat with Colin Gibbs, a social studies teacher who shares his system for success he uses with his students. Colin also shares his technology checklist with all of you. You can find a link to it in the show notes to this episode. It's a Google slide so you can make a copy of it for yourself. If you do use and update it for the use in your classroom with your kids, and he talks about making bookmarks and add-ons, will you please share it with the community as well? We all learn when we all share. It's a great episode filled of great, powerful nuggets of knowledge. And with that, on with the show. Welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. So great to be here with Colin and Chris. Chris, another day in the life of Chris, the <laughs> tech coach. Uh, talk a little bit about your day today down in Hood River School District. Yeah, so actually, um, I was in Portland today for Ooh, um, nice. some, some learning. So it was an Apple Ed event um, mm. since we are uh, an Apple iPad district. Um, oh, cool. I, get to, I get to do some learning around that. So we did, it was a, a coding event, Swift coding, and just oh, learning nice. how to do some of that with kids. Yeah, and we've been, you know, we've been exploring different ways to do some coding with, especially with the littles, with the elementary library specials, um, but just get more coding into the district. So I did that um, in the morning, and then the afternoon, I actually had a webinar um, with Tinker, um, oh, with Tinker, great. Tinker and Google. So I was doing some learning around that. So, um, outside of the district today, but lots of learning around coding stuff. Yeah. I can bring back. So yeah, feeding yourself, we're always feeding talking the, about yeah. how do you feed yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes you can do it virtually. Sometimes you have to go to places to do it, but you had to That's feed right. yourself. So yeah. Oh, very cool. And we're so excited to be uh, joined here by Colin, uh, this evening who has t- gone to great lengths to find a quiet place in his house. He's behind three de- separate doors in a closet. When he came on screen, I was like, you look like you're in a closet and he's actually in a closet. So Colin, welcome to Shifting Our Schools. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your your story and how did you get into education? All right, so yeah, I'm uh, teaching the Richland School District. I'm in my eighth year. It's getting to the point now where it's like, I've taught long enough that I can't remember what year. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, you don't, you can't say like it's been 30 years in education yet. So I'm in that weird, that weird mode, but eighth year, um, this is my fourth year at the Richmond school district. Um, I have kind of a, a second chance or a second career almost moved education. I was kind of a slow learner. 
um, as far as what I wanted to be. I knew I was interested in social studies and history. I mean, I was always into those, but I always yeah. vowed that I would never teach. Never. <laughs> um, I even went to a school. I went to Whitworth University and I went to a school that's known for teachers and I did not become a teacher. That <laughs> rare for that school. Um, but my wife did. So we, uh, I decided to uh, choose a different career and we moved to the Seattle area and became, she became a teacher and I kind of, uh, realized that uh, in my summers I would coach baseball during college and I realized why am I not in this field even if it's then a coaching side of things and so yeah. um, I just had a couple years of reflection working at different jobs and realizing that yeah I think I should become a teacher <laughs> so we lived over like I said in uh, western Washington and I went to LU and got a teaching uh, certificate and master's degree and so now we're both teachers in the Richmond School District I teach um, high school my wife teaches elementary school and we joke that the uh, the job is not that much different. Yeah, so true. <laughs> have a lot in common. Uh, here we are. So I taught in Federal Way School District for four years, and then okay. both from um, kind of uh, North Central Idaho, and we wanted to get closer, and so we moved to Richland, and, and here I am. So yeah. uh, I taught middle school for four years, and this is my fourth year teaching high school. So I've taught grades six through twelve social studies, everything under the sun as far as the subjects go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I cool. now teach full grown adults. I teach yeah. teachers and there's just like teaching it's, elementary kids or 11th different. graders. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something about education. They just don't change it with the age thing. So, well, that's awesome. So, yeah. uh, Chris, do you want to go ahead and ask, uh, yeah, kind yeah. of get his so, role in here? So, uh, Colin and I actually worked together a little bit, um, in the Richmond school district. I got to, um, work with him in his class. So Colin, great to be talking with you again. Um, I would love for you to talk a little bit. I just, the something that teachers struggle with a lot of times is within a one-to-one -one setting, especially if they haven't ever been teaching in a one-to-one -one setting, the students have the devices. How do they manage that? And I just love some of the things that you do. Could you talk a little bit about how you kind of manage your, the day-to-day -day operations in class and kind of how I'd love maybe talk about how you front load at the beginning of the school year with the apps and the tools that kids are going to use. Yeah. So um, in the situation I'm in, all my classes I teach right now are, are actually semester classes. And so I'm used to getting large number of kids and then I don't have the same kids throughout the year. Like I, you know, halfway through the year I, I switch. And so I, I realized right away that if I didn't front load, um, basically we were going to have problems. Like it was going to take me so long to recover time that would, would have been better spent maybe in the first part of the school year, you know, cause it was, whether it's the first part of a semester or the first part of the year, you always have those, you know, icebreaker stuff, but then you also kind of have like syllabus ish, you know, you're going over details and rules and what am I about and get to know me kind of stuff. And I realized this is a great time to be setting up a little, some structures for technology. Mm -hmm. They're going to save me so much time later on in the semester. Cause it's just, it's a very quick pace for me. Mm -hmm. So um, in the, even in the first week um, after, you know, get to know you, who am I, all that kind of stuff, I have a checklist that I give kids and I call it the technology checklist. And all it is, is we have to get your device ready to do projects and to be online quite a bit. So some of these kids, I never assume you know anything or they have anything or they have anything from middle school. I just kind of assume, okay, this kid knows nothing. What do we have to do to get their device ready? Well, I believe we got to get the bookmarks on there. So, okay, do you know how to make a bookmark? We got to make bookmarks and I have a list of bookmarks that you need to add so that for one click and we're live. I'm not, we, we can't be searching Google drive every time. Yeah. <laughs> do it. Like, it's just, I cannot do this every time. Um, so then the next thing is, well, what are the add-ons that I think we're going to use? So, you know, we get the, or the, or the extensions uh, that we're going to need. And so we get the, 
there's an extension list. And then I have a couple apps that we're gonna have that are gonna be on the device. So finally, and we use Chromebooks. So by the time we're ready to go into the unit, even if they don't know what they're doing, it's kind of like, don't ask questions, just get this done. And then when we get into it, then they start to understand, oh, I see why we put this on here. Yeah. So glad I put this on here. Oh, thank God we put this on here. Yeah. <laughs> go Because there's so much of that structural stuff that you don't think about. And then you get into a unit, you're trying to do a project and you spend half of your time. Now, do you remember how to get to Google Docs? Yeah. Do you know, do you know where the bookmarks bar is at? So just getting them to understand that the machine has to be prepared. Um, and you know, I'm Ooh. somewhere in some ways if we think about our phones, I feel like, you know, are your apps, you know, on the right spot? It's just, to me, it's a very similar thing. And so I spend the first part of the year really getting that ready for them. And that's why like, <laughs> first week activity. Okay. So I was going to ask, cause I want to break this down. Cause this is awesome. Okay. Uh, number one, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. Be willing to share this checklist with other teachers. Yes. Awesome. Okay. Good. And I just put it on a Google, uh, I just put it on a Google slide, honestly. Perfect. You only document that they, and you can customize and make a copy, whatever. Awesome. I would love if you could share that with us. We'll make sure it gets in the show notes. Number two, how much class time does this take? Because one of the things I hear a lot from teachers is, (laughs) well, Jeff, that's all fine and dandy, but I have stuff I've got to get through. Well, if you model, you know, I always model one. And actually, sometimes I've even put a video link for me, you know, doing through it with them. So the nice part is if you missed class that day, you know, it's not that hard to figure out. Yeah, here you go. Or there's the YouTube link to some other person doing it. Um, For my class, I mean, it can't have have taken more than like 15 minutes. Oh, so you're not even talking like a whole class period. No, no, I'm talking about just a little activity to get this device ready. And okay, so I love this. So you give up 15 minutes of class time. Yeah. And over the course of a school year, how much time do you think that 15 minutes saves you? I don't even think it's calculable i mean like it's like it's gotta be it's gotta be like hours i mean it's yeah it's be right um so true kid and the nice part is here's what's now happened because i've taught long enough and i usually teach sophomores in their history class and then i get them again as, as senior mm. here's what's happening now kids have had me yeah now it's to the point where oh we already have five people that know how to do this so they're now they don't necessarily need to even do it because they may they might actually have their device ready and they kind of get how this is about to work and I'm like, oh yeah, remember how, yeah, we're going to need, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. over there, we're going to need some people, you know, so they, they, the kids can actually help each other too. And That's I, great. you know, as an exit ticket, if you did it on the first day and, you know, maybe if you've never done it before, you want to do a little bit more time and go slow, especially maybe middle school, but you can make that an exit ticket. I just need to see your screen. Yeah. Know if they did it right. Yeah. Yeah. You can see extensions and you can see bookmarks and then, you know, if they miss an app or two, like that's not, I mean, a big deal, yeah. me, but I can just do a quick exit and say, okay, you're good to go. And then if a couple of kids didn't get it, that's a very quick next day follow through again and say, okay, yeah, we're not quite there. Okay. So my next question then, what do you say to teachers? Cause mm-hmm. I get this a lot. I'm not a tech teacher. Um, yeah, well you are, um, <laughs> kind of, yes. at, uh, Thank you. Um, <laughs> at least the basics you are. Um, you know, I, I feel like in the, in the old guard of social studies, it used to be, I'm not a reading teacher, right? Writing teacher. Uh, but so much of this now is just interdisciplinary that, you know, you, you kind of at least have to be doing some of this organizational piece. Cause to me, it's like a classroom management thing. And so you're going to have, yeah. to, it's a structure you're gonna have to put in place. Yeah. You would never give a kid a planner 
or a binder or whatever your you know whatever the equivalent is in a paper version without some of these structures yet you know when you think about your teaching job you know i'm not a paper filer well you are because you have to, no it's it's a very similar <laughs> argument to me I love um, it. so i and i just I, see it as a time saver and yeah. you're giving up 15 and and the reward is a kid that's more organized they're they're feeling more confident they're like oh I didn't know this. Oh yeah, this is, you know, the kids buy in right away because they realize, oh yeah, one click. Yeah, that makes sense. And here's the other question that you've been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. How, how often, I mean, maybe not anymore, you're shocked. But one of the things that I've noticed is that we give kids way too much credit that we just think they already know how to do this stuff. Well, they definitely don't know. Yeah. And this is what I keep trying to tell <laughs> teachers. I was like, kids know technology in a social sense. Yeah. Because since the age of three, they've had a cell phone where they've looked at mom, dad, or grandma through FaceTime. They know how to communicate with technology. They're in their social networks. They do not know how to learn with technology. Yeah. So even I something I could, yeah, I I could see something like a bookmark could just like blow some kid's head. Like, oh, yeah. just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> or then that you can erase the text and just keep the, the icon. The icon, yeah. yeah. Clean it up. Yeah, whoa, whoa, yeah like wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> And then you oh, realize, you kind of realize sometimes in some small ways when you go to a kid that you haven't had, like, like I said, I get to see this and I'm, I'm, I'm actually kind of starting to get a little bit anxious as a semester approaches. Cause you get these, it's like, you get the puppies trained. Yeah. Like, yeah. The more, <laughs> there's more puppies coming. <laughs> there's more puppies coming. <laughs> to like roll back my expectations. Cause I right. got this thing rolling, you know? Yeah. And, um, but the nice part is, I mean, I think about if I'm doing this every semester, how many kids are now going in other classes and having this kind of it's all set up for them too yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So. I, I i love that idea and i talk so much with teachers you know this idea of if you set this stuff up if you take september or august whenever your school starts and if you just take even if you take a week yeah. if you take a week to get here's here's google classroom here's how our google classroom runs mm-hmm. here are the yeah. bookmarks you need here are the five top apps that we are going to use over and over and over again yeah. and if you even take the first week to get that set up i mean like you're saying it's exponential time saved down the line yeah and then as an adult i started obviously doing this more too right like i don't manage even my own online behavior the same now like for i mean when you don't have google set up or you can't link the data it's like a major meltdown i can't even like oh (laughs) yeah (laughs) so yeah anyway that's just one example but i think it's such a small thing that anybody could do yeah um any dividends are strong Colin, do you do you spend any time? So that was with like bookmarks and links, yes, uh-huh. um, and all that. Do you have, do you spend any time on specific apps, like letting them play in apps to experience those? Um, if we're going to use it in a project, I will. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does depend on kind of. Sometimes, I mean, most of the time, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. I will let them play around. I will give them choice, and then I will try to model some things for them and give them some explore time. So the answer is usually yes. There are times in certain classes, especially sometimes when I'm with the seniors where I give them choices, but I'm like, you know what? We're just not in a moment right now that this yeah. is an option if you know what you're doing, but I just don't have time to be giving you everything here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and have like Adobe Spark or something like that. Like if you have, yeah. if you want to have Adobe Spark, that's great. Um, it's an option. I'm willing to accept it. At this moment, I'm just giving it more for choice right now. This is not right. a major thing. So. And have you found less of a need to do that now that you're, the district is in year six or seven of yes having devices and kids have been using them from middle school up um, and they have been exposed to different apps and that's, so you don't have to do as much. They just kind of know that this yeah. tool will work for this type of thing. Yeah. You know, I know like um, if you get really in the weeds on something, you still have to kind of get involved, but mm-hmm. I a tremendous amount of growth 
uh, with the district going to one to one. I mean, as far as basic stuff, much, much better. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, you know, a point where to me, it's more, I spend my, more of my time I'm finding still, like as much as I ever did on organizational things. Yeah. 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 The yeah. app familiarity, I'm seeing that be better. Like, oh, kids are like, oh, you're letting me make, make Adobe Spark or you're letting me do something on, um, I'm trying to think of a platform that they do, like a Google form or some type yeah. of thing. Yeah. That's way accepted for them. They, they get that yeah. in general. And, I, I, and to that point, I think we skip over this idea of organization that, mm-hmm. You know, that I, I remember, you know, back in the binder days when I went to school, you had to be very well organized and you had your binder and we would take mm-hmm. time to set up the little tabs and you had your different yeah. sections of the three green binder. And we did that in order to be successful. And so I feel like a, that since we've moved to a digital world, yeah. I feel like we've lo- we dropped that somewhere because yeah, to your point, it. I'm hearing like we need to teach kids how to organize digital data and you organize it differently than you do a three ring binder. Correct. I also did, I forgot, there's one other thing I do in the first week that's related to this. I think it's worth noting. Um, I also, regardless of whatever folders Google might create for you, I end up having them, we go to Google Drive the first week and just say, okay, you're going to make a folder for my class. You're going to make a folder for every unit. Once again, this is not like, don't question me on what they are. They just are yeah. what <laughs> start to get at least the structures put in place so that right. when I'm giving you documents or feeding you things, Yes, you can always make a copy, but like it needs to be moved into the folder. And I've right. spent a lot more time this year modeling. This is how you move files. Hmm. Because if I go into Google Drive and you got a bunch of untitled things or copy ah. learning things, I mean, that's the equivalent of having your backpack look like a bomb went off. Exactly. Yeah. So right. true. Yes. And you can tag it and find it, but it's very difficult. Yeah. You're collaborating with somebody to be having five untitled files and you just don't know which one. And you're Yeah. Going, oh, so true. Like so, is, yeah. Do you, I can only imagine what your bedroom looks like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. right. yeah. And they don't even think twice about it because what do they do? They just no. go to recent, yeah. right? Over on the right. table and they're like, oh, I can find it. I did it yesterday. Well, what if you did it last week? Yeah. Oh, oh we've got something yeah. going on here. So. Yeah. No, I yeah. love that. That is, that is so great. Um, can you talk a little bit about then how do you, what does your classroom look like? And we've been, you know, we talked a lot on the, on the podcast here about project-based learning. Is that something that you implement? How often? Um, just kind of what does your, how, how do you kind of run through, uh, a, you know, a, a unit of study or something? What does that look like for you, your students? It does depend, you know, the classes I teach are quite a bit different. So it does depend on the class. Uh, for instance, in government, that's such more of a circular class where the con- mm a ton of content and it's kind of circular and it's always going to come back to the constitution and the branches of government, how they interact. Like it's never going to go away. So in that class, I do projects. There are actually a lot of simulations where you get groups of kids working together and, and then it builds off each other as we go. Uh, in U.S. history, I would say it's, it's more because it's, history is not, oh, you know, you can make the case it's not always linear, but it does go through time. Mm-hmm. And so that is where I've had to institute more of some really substantial projects as far as through a unit type of project um, because you're marching through time and you may not come back to some of that thematic stuff again like you would in government. So I've had sure. to build in stuff and actually this got started, I think maybe Chris, I want to say it's three years ago now when I think uh, so. yeah. maybe I teamed up with you for the first time. Um, so, and, and I can talk about this, but um, in US history, the first unit we do is industrialization. Very interesting, I think. Yeah. First, as a history teacher, kids hate it. Yeah. Um, it's before, I've noticed with kids that if it's before media, it's like either, you know, it's like before they're, they can't yeah. relate to 
it at all. Like if yeah, you, there's if, no relationship, either the audio is yeah. bad or something or picture, the minute you can see people talking and, and they can watch it, there's a, there's a spark there. It happens mm. for one when you kind of used to be, you can kind of start doing that. But um, so this first period, this time period is interesting. And I think relatable to now because there's a lot of technology and a lot of social change and things going on. But for kids, it's so it's kind of abstract and forever ago and what in the world. And so this to me was a perfect time to institute a major project because you don't have the engagement of kids liking it. You know, if you don't do something alive in this thing up, it's like I got the textbook. I got people that have made a lot of money and (laughs) I got like cars and that's it. So, yeah, yeah, um, that's really where I've I've had to go to kind of a project-based approach especially early on in the class because it's the first unit yeah it's, and the um, thing i like the the thing i like even just stopping and, and i think dissecting this for people that are listening is when you want to go in and actually start redesigning a unit or thinking about a unit that really needs some help i find a lot of times teachers often look at the unit that is already working really well and kids yeah. like it and that's not the unit you want to start with I mean, if that unit is already running, leave that unit, find the unit that, and I love the way that you're setting this up. You're passionate about it. You think this is an awesome time period to be studying, Mm -hmm. but something of the way that this unit was running was not having that same interest with your students, right? And so you have this, you have this unit where it's just, for some reason, isn't hitting home with kiddos. Mm And those are the units you, you need to start with. I mean, because it makes it so easy to be like, well, what's working now isn't motivating them. Yeah. So it's yeah, easy I mean, to blow it up. To yeah, yeah, <laughs> you just blow it up. You know, it makes it easy to start over. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So how, do you kind of, how did you kind of go through this redesign process then? What did this kind of look well, like for you? Well, I mean, I think even before I met with Chris, and I did meet with Chris, and we'll talk about what he and I worked on. But like, I just kind of looked at what I had to work with. And I realized what I had to work with was pretty bad. Like, yeah, <laughs> if you found the best video and the best textbook reading and the best, if you made the best lecture, I mean, like if you did the best of everything you could do, it just wasn't going to be very good. I mean, yeah. it wasn't. And I was trying to think of all these different ways, like how could this possibly, and I don't know if Chris remembers this, but Chris was on the interview team that hired me. And so I knew that he was in the building and he yeah. kind of had this role where he could maybe help me out and, I was kind of new and hadn't really taught this class. And so I kind of reached out to him and said, Hey, I'm wide open, whatever you got. Yeah. (laughs) And and I was like, yeah, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and I think basically we worked through a backwards planning process. Um, So it's the process that you would do regardless of technology. I mean, like you're just redesigning something. We didn't talk tech for quite a while, actually. We just talked about, you know, what are the standards? Yeah. Uh, What type of products and assessments will we look at? Um, as far as like, what do we need to show that they're either meeting the standard or something like that? Um, what kind of resources do we currently have? And then we started to wade into what are the essential learnings? How would the unit be organized? Would it be by theme or by topic? And I think we, we ended up deciding it was basically this industrial period, but if you really broke it down, it was subtopics. So there was mm-hmm. a thing for technology. There was a big thing for um, the role. I've kind of, kind of reworded this now, but almost like mm-hmm. the see of people so like should they be remembered as people that gave back to society and all their philanthropic work or is it more like this is a period of intense greed um and then finally it ends with reform and get into this time period where there's progressive era and they try to reform it and so you, you break it down by subtopics and those yeah. are all based on content standards and then we finally decided well how could they possibly show their learning 
And this, mm. we knew that it was going to be technology based, but you know, how's it going to work? And we ended up deciding podcasts would be good for this um, because there's just so much value in collaborating with each other and then sharing their learning and then producing something that they could share with others. And, um, and that's his work. I, I think the first time we ever did it, the structure was something like Chris was going to take the lead on the tech side of things which made him kind of the cool guy when he showed up to the, yeah. <laughs> his brother's here. It's gotta be good. You know, it's gotta it's like, be good. Yeah. That was Dr. a crazy Mr. Gibbs, yeah. We're going to go over how you research sources. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, he would take the lead on the, on the, on the tech side of things. And then I would take the lead on the more of the content and the mini lectures or the mini, you know, tutorial type stuff. And then they would have time to work through different parts of the project culminating at the time in, in a production of four podcasts in a series um, throughout the unit. And that would be um, basically, those were all kind of summative assessments. I would say the last podcast, of course, was the ultimate summative assessment because you're like, well, yeah. you've, had, you've had four chances here. We should be seeing some pretty good growth here. Yeah. So, some um, growth and understanding, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, and then did you, are those, were those podcasts posted on, in iTunes? Did you actually set up a podcast channel? How did you? What, um, we, what did we do, Chris? I think the first time was automatic. Yeah, Podomatic hosts yep. them on there. Um, and we something I also like that you did is you made them, you made the podcast available to the students in other classes, other class periods of the same sure. class, so yep. they could give give feedback and hear yeah, other cool. students and, and kind we of used what they did. We used Padlet. Yeah. yeah, just yeah, drop the links into Padlet and they could access those. Yeah, oh, that's and then great. Idea. Had, and then they've they would have to provide feedback based on rubrics, basically. Mm -hmm. like okay what's something you you know content feedback and then uh kind of quality feedback you know what does it sound like yeah. um, and feedback and it was it was cool the way i mean you talked about and, and if you've ever talked to me and anyone's ever talked to me about this you know i always ask what do we want to start with what do you want the kids to learn and be able to do by the end you didn't start with the technology we didn't focus on that first it was all about the standards and all that and we worked backwards and landed on what is the right technology to make this work so they could show their learning yeah. um which is a that that just if if i'm a teacher and i'm looking at redesigning a unit that i've been doing for a long time mm -hmm. it still needs to come down to that right what i want yeah. the students to learn and be able to do um yeah, i like that the yeah. one thing that I've picked up on since I've began doing this more, and this is a surprise to me when I first started doing it, here was my assumption as a teacher that's going into project based learning. Here's what I thought. Oh, the kids are going to love it because it's better than I know what the alternative is. Of course, they don't know what the alternative is. Sure. So they're, auto they're automatically bought in. And they yeah. were as far as the engagement of the technology goes. But what I learned is, and now it seems so obvious, but like projects are hard. <laughs> so the kids at some point realize that quote unquote traditional learning, while it might not be more engaging to them, it way easier for them yeah. because yeah. they had structures that they were used to. Yeah. I think this loops us back around to, okay, I then had to get a lot better at structures for project-based learning that maybe I've even continued to continue to do, to do, you know, I don't know that it ever really ends on the structures that I've tried to implement on this stuff um, because that was the only way that they would, could become more comfortable was you have to start meeting them with these structures and, and things so um you know now it's broken down and i have you know almost to the micro level of we're going to do a research phase and this is a research form and we're going to do a mini lesson on this and um i'm not doing it for you like there's just all these micro steps you have to do to get down the road here so um 
Well, you must listen to this podcast because structure is like <laughs> our word uh, here. Be, I mean, that's all we talk about, especially to your, to your point. When you turn learning over to students, first of all, it's really hard because it's a high cognitive load on the brain. Creating stuff is a high cognitive load. There's a reason why it's number one in blooms. Like it's hard. It takes time. And the only way to get kids there is to build in structure so that they can be successful. Mm-hmm. And here on the podcast, we call it highly structured, loosely organized, right? You're not organizing the learning for them. You're not telling them exactly where to go all the time, but you're mm-hmm. putting a lot of structures in place. And especially when it's the first time kids have ever gone through this, you're going to have to put structures into, here's how you research. Here's what a research form looks like. Here's how you copy and paste links when you find research into a Google Doc. Like you're going yep. to have to put those structures in place in order to then be able to give them the big question to come back and say, okay, now, you know, now, now go out and, and actually do it, right? And organize your thinking. Here are the structures so that you can organize, right? Highly structured, loosely organized. It's, we talk about it all the time on the podcast. The more, the more of the ownership is on the students, the more structure that is needed in order to get there. Yeah. So I and I had that. a lot of times at the time we were doing the initial project, well, quite a bit of pushback, I mean, from the kids. I mean, they're just yeah. going to be open with you and honest. And the irony, though, is once again, I have these kids later. And so what do I do when I have them as seniors? I'm like, well, you could always produce a podcast or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've had multiple kids say they did it. You know what I mean? With yeah. It's like, and I'm like, wait a second, you're the same person like two years ago that was kind of giving me a little bit of the runaround. Yeah. Are we doing this, whatever? And now, oh, now we have the option and we, have those yeah. and we feel confident. So I have seen the returns and I think that's important to know that even if a kid comes out of your class, you don't know. I mean, they could, this, these skills keep going. And, and that's kind of, I think as a teacher exciting because sometimes we think if it doesn't happen in my room, it's not happening. Right. Yeah. And that's just been yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I'm so glad that you touched on that. I mean, we, you know, a lot of times you have to, as a teacher, you have to push through I know what you need as a learner, even though that you don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And projects, a lot of times, to your point, kids don't, kids know how to play school. By the time they've hit high school, they know how to play school. Mm-hmm. And either they're good at playing school or they're not good at playing school, but they know how the game works. And when you do something like this and you upend it in a project-based learning approach or a challenge-based approach or design cycle, like pick any one of them, what you've done is you've changed the game. And when that happens, you there, there's a lot of pushback from students and you've got to be willing to know mm-hmm. that what you are doing is good for them. I have another social studies teacher friend to this point who works at another school district here. Um, well, it's Steve Murphy. He's been on the podcast a couple of times mm-hmm. and I think you can go back and listen to him. He's fantastic. Oh, amazing. Like a mentor to me. He's, I mm-hmm. just love this man. And he, um, he was talking about, he was doing this, I think last year or two years ago, where first semester, because he has the kids for a whole year, first semester, he ran first semester that kids could choose. They could either go through traditional, and he's like, I've got the traditional way you want to learn. You go at your own pace. You can go through the traditional method of just reading, you know, turning in research, doing what you do. Or you can choose a passion project that shows your learning in some other way that you get to decide as long as you are meeting these standards. And I don't remember what the numbers are, but it's something like first semester, he had like three kids pick the passion project and the rest of the kids went all into just traditional learning, right? <laughs> it was really fascinating. And, he, and of course he was bummed. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I gave kids choice. And when they all of a sudden had the choice, because that's always what they're asking for, they go back to what they know. Yeah. But second semester, it almost completely flipped. 
and he only had like two or three kids that would pick the traditional and the rest of these kids went into this. You mean I can do anything? I can go through a process and I can structure my own learning and create something that shows what I know in the way that I want to show it. And here, and he, in, in, you know, as a great teacher, he has, he's like, yeah, here's the structures to how you get to creating something that shows me what you know. You know, but you have to, and he, like, I remember when he was starting, he, was, he kept coming to me first. He's like, I don't know if I can get through first semester. He's like, man, he's like, the kids are fighting me. They don't yeah. want to do it. He's like, I, I gave them choices and, and now they're complaining because they chose something and they don't, and you know, it was really, really fascinating. But you have to, I think sometimes you have to, we have to reteach them and be like, no, there's yeah. multiple different ways to learning. Traditional schooling is one of them. But there are other ways that you can show your learning as well. And, you know, and, and retraining them to be, and the older they are, the harder it is because it's been so ingrained on how right. school works. And I, I, I think there's, I, I come back to a couple different comments. Um, Colin, and I remember one. So what, there was one student that, um, and I, I don't, do you remember that what I'm, you know what I'm going to talk about? So um, as you move to a more project-based learning and they, they're taking more responsibility for their learning um, and you're more of a facilitator and just helping them along and um, checking up with them and we're kind of just working through the room and that sort of thing. I still remember the comment, hey, Mr. Gibbs, when are you going to start teaching again? Because, oh, wow. because, you're, because you're not up in front of the class leading the lecture, mm. providing them all the, the content and the knowledge. They had to do the work. And mm. that was, especially as a high school student, that's, that's a change because that's not what they were used to. Um, so it, but it was, it was really kind of, we laughed about it a lot um, because you were working probably harder than you had before on this yeah. unit. Right. Um, I'm killing yeah. myself here and we're, right, right, right. Yeah. it's a lot of work for the teacher. Let's not get this yeah. wrong. Right. Like right. this, you don't just set, and to your point, you don't just set it up, walk away and it runs perfect. Right. Oh, like no. you're, you're saying this years later, you're still tweaking structures. You're still trying yeah. to figure out what is that thing? Oh, that worked well. That didn't work well. Or I need to add this for this type of student. You know, it, it never goes away, but to me, that's the fun of teaching. Like yeah. that's, yes. that's why I love doing this stuff. Yeah. You know? And I think I want one more comment that you know, I don't, it was a, a different student but i loved this they said mr butler i can't hide anymore mm. i can't just you talked about jeff you talked about doing school playing school yeah they they figured it out like i can't hide anymore and just get by by doing the same old stuff i have to know what i'm talking about because i'm putting out this podcast for the world to hear yeah it matters now right mm. that was a really cool from a kid that's a that's a cool insight that was that's pretty powerful neat. yeah very cool yeah yeah, when stuff becomes authentic and you have an authentic audience, the level of what students are produce always rises to the occasion. Yeah. There there is just something different of what I produce for my teacher versus what I produce for the world. And when you change that audience lens, I have never had a teacher come back and say what mm -hmm. students produced or tried to produce met was was less value than what they've ever turned into me. Right. Right. I love yep. that. That's such a great lens to look through. So cool. Um as a social studies high school teacher, mm -hmm. three tools that you feel like are like your go-tos. Like if you had to recommend three things that you're like, oh yeah, I could not teach tomorrow without boom, boom, boom. What would those be? So I was thinking about this. I, uh, I mean, any of the Google tools I would argue might be essential just from a like, and I, and I kind of package as far as the kids use, this is just basic kind of stuff, but like forms, slide sheets, and docs, maybe in a package bundle to me are almost kind of similar. I, I've okay. used 
forms quite a bit as a social studies teacher, um, both kids making them. Uh, this happens yeah. a little bit more in my government classes because we are doing voting and they're doing polls and they're doing collecting information. So I'm making them for them, but they're also making them for each other and mm. they get to explain. So that's been big for me. Um, from a social studies side, I've also used, um, and partly because our district has kind of a subscription to it, but using Adobe Spark, Adobe Spark quite a bit. Cool. Um, Padlet for feedback has been big. Those would probably be my top three. Like I said, I'm kind of bundling the Google stuff. I'm yeah. adding Adobe Spark and then I'm, and I'm adding Padlet for feedback. Like it. And then do you run your classroom? Do you run through Google Classroom? Is that kind of your LMS, your home base? Um, we actually, um, I've done both. Uh, um, at the secondary level, uses Canvas. Okay. Um, but I've used both. Uh, right now I'm using Canvas, but kind of with Google, you know, Google Apps for Education. Sure. Tied to the back side. Instructional of kind of thing. Yeah. So like what yeah. kids are getting are all the Google kind of things. And I love that. I'm running, but collecting through Canvas. And what kind of, do you use anything for, I, I'm, I'm just assuming in a lot of stuff in social studies usually is around mapping. Um, mm -hmm. You do a lot of mapping stuff. Are there any programs that are like go-to for you for mapping or having kids create maps or? Um, you know what, because I don't teach ninth grade specifically uh, human geography and I don't teach that. Mm. Um, I don't use it as much um, for mapping as, as other teachers would. Okay. Know that they've used. I want to say the program. I'm I'm going to get this wrong now because I'm speaking a little bit out of my area here. But um, they use I know MapCharts.net. Okay. Their programs to map some things out. Um, but I don't. I don't. I specifically am not using that as much. Um, yeah. For my for my content areas, I'm using a little bit more of the um, the Google stuff and then kids kind of creation apps, where it's whether it's Canva or Adobe Spark or some uh, some form of that. Yeah. Last question. How much fun is it to be teaching government right now? <laughs> there is no shortage of <laughs> days, uh, when it comes to government. I can uh, only imagine. Yes. And the, and the kids, you know, in government, and this is kind of true in social studies, and maybe it's true of every subject, but rarely do kids bring a lot of background information into government, especially just general education government. And so um, to try to get them, my big goal in government is to try to get them communicating with each other as much as possible right? and to do simulations and to really become kind of a family so that when we get into some weighty topics, like maybe anything that goes on in the news, yeah, they can kind of come at it from a, Oh, I know that. And it's not necessarily that they're not going to give their opinion or they are, but just like, Hey, we, we really know everybody in here and we're, we're so used to interacting and talking and having to create things and work together that we can kind of tackle some, some pretty heavy stuff. So we've talked about impeachment, inquiry and, and multiple things, you know, different, multiple, on multiple occasions, done different projects with it, um, discussions. And um, I just think the spirit of government classes has to be, these kids have to be talking and mm. interacting a ton yeah, and really try to, in that class, uh, even more so than history, mm. uh, groups, pure dynamics, collaboration is just, it is big in there. So. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, one of like, if you're looking at a transferable skill, which we talk a lot about, right? What are those skills that kids can walk away from yeah. the idea in a, and I think a class like government like that, and, and you hit it on the head is having kids talk to each other and understand that you can have a different of an opinion, but it's the opinion, not the person or like, how do you, how do you attack, how do you attack an opinion or how do you attack um, a stance without attacking the person? Yeah. You know, and that is such a great skill. Uh, whenever you're in some kind of debate or, you know, is, is how do you, how do you make sure that you're staying on point about 
the topic and attacking the topic, not the person. And what exactly. a great transferable skill for life. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I've been in the habit. It's, I've been known to, especially when we get into like topics where we're studying something more specifically, their finished product is often um, almost a, a digital version of a raft mm. where you roll an audience, a format and a, and a um, topic that you're kind of given. And then you have different ways to share learning. But I've been known to knowing <laughs> that it maybe is a diehard Democrat to make them be a Republican in Congress. I think it's an important uh, political to understand political thinking. You have to yeah. kind of think about it tactically. So, yeah. yeah, it's the same reason you I mean as a full grown, you know, well, I don't know if I'm full grown yet, but as an adult, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I read news from multiple different sources, Damn. sources that I don't agree with because I need to be pushed into understanding or I want to be pushed into understanding all mm -hmm. sides. And I also under, understand the way the internet works, that when I open up my newsfeed <laughs> on my phone, I'm yep. only getting exactly what I'm supposed right, to be getting. Right. And I need to get outside that bubble if I really want to see you know, what, what, what other perspectives are. And so I think that's a great way. And I, you know, anytime in, in class, especially in social studies that you can mm -hmm. get, get students to think beyond that, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to change your way, but you need to make sure you're getting information from all sources so that you understand why you believe what you believe. Yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that's that. That's great. So cool. Well, anything else from you, Chris, yeah. what are you thinking? Um, no, I'm, I'm all good. It was just fun to chat with Colin. I haven't talked to him in a long time. So this, yeah, this I see you again. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying, I'm trying to come up with, I'm trying to decide is the topic of is the title of this episode, the technology checklist, or is it Mr. Gibbs? When are you going to start teaching us again? <laughs> I love that. What a great. I, I actually did get a very similar comment this year. Did you? Uh, and and the, the funniest thing is the kids that will really push on you, which this isn't surprising now to all of us yeah. now, but like Mike, my, if I ever get a class that's higher ability wise mm -hmm. or, or track higher, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're in the fight now, you know, the kid, yeah. I don't want to use the word necessarily like remedial, but like if, if they're coming in and just going for engagement and maybe they're not seen as like the advanced tracked math group that suddenly makes its way into social studies, you know what? Those kids will usually play ball for you as long as they like yeah. A relationship yeah you get these kids in here that are really good at or maybe yep. take an ap class and now they're in your yep watch out yes. mr gibbs just tell me what i need to know and i'll tell That's it back right. to you later yeah that we, is exactly right we talk yeah. about that a lot on the podcast that a lot of times the greatest pushback comes from the kids who are in your advanced classes mm -hmm. because they have got this game down and yep. I will look at, you know, we talked before we started, before we started recording that my, my goddaughters are at the other high school in your district. Mm -hmm. And they're both as a freshman and sophomore in two or three different AP classes and just flying through. I mean, they are yeah. amazing students, but if somebody ever asked them to not play that game, <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh, yeah. but they know the game. I mean, they have nailed that game. Sure. They know the game of school. And I can only imagine what would happen if some teacher, I mean, I, I could, I know what would happen. Their worlds would fall <laughs> apart because they've, they've exactly. got this sucker dialed in, you know? Yeah. And I think the, to bookend this whole thing is with structures in a, in the project base or the digital world, they will also nail it. It does yeah. freak them out, but then they do fine with that. The flip side of that is the kids that struggle with the traditional, if you go to a project base and all this technology, like you don't have those structures and it's kind of the same song and dance. Um, 
maybe the engagement was a little bit higher, but you really got to make sure that, that they were locked in with the things that they need. It yeah. just changed. So I guess, you know, the art of teaching is the same. It's the mode. Yeah. yeah. We're trying to reach them are a little bit different. So. Yeah. yeah. I had yeah. a, I had a, uh, another social studies teacher who went, did a project based, decided much like this, decided to take a unit. And, um, I'll never forget. He came back from a training. I was working with the school district for a couple of years and he came back. He's like, I got to show you something. And he comes up and he starts playing this video and he's playing the video and it's, it's an okay video. And I forget, I forget it was, Oh no, it wasn't social studies. It was a science video. And, uh, science class. And so the kid was talking, I think, and oh, it's coming back to me now. It was the student was explaining why when you cut into an onion, it makes you cry and the chemical yeah. reaction that happens. Okay. So that's it. So this kid makes this video with all his friends on a Saturday and actually explains like, I didn't know what, you know, and it was incredible. And to the point where the teacher had an email from the father who said, I just want to thank you. I've never seen my son be so engaged wow. in any topic in school because he loves to make videos and has never had an opportunity to demonstrate his learning in a vehicle that is mm. the way he talks. And the teacher is sitting there and as she's showing the video, she's like, you gotta understand, this is a kid who has not turned in a paper all year, yeah. but takes a Saturday with his friends <laughs> and how many hours of editing and planning and learning the science behind it all working. To yeah. turn in a, you're just like, hmm, yeah. there's something That's different for those kids, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I had a kid, uh, had a kid right now in my government class running for, we're doing presidential simulations and then running for president. And he threw his name in the hat, although against that, I was a little bit like, uh-oh, this isn't maybe the greatest idea. <laughs> yeah. And he got the kids to vote for him because what did he spend his weekend doing? He made an educational TikTok. Video. <laughs> of yeah, course. TikTok. Yes, Is it for the kids? Course. Yep. Got the votes. So, you know, I think if you can find ways. Yeah, yeah find we ways. Talk, we talk so. about that all the time, right? Meet them where they're at. Yeah. Meet them where they're at. You got to know yeah. where they're at, you know? Yeah. Um, I love it. Well, thank you, Colin, for taking time. Thank you, guys. Out of your awesome. Thanks, uh, busy day, finding a quiet closet that has Wi-Fi in your house. <laughs> right. Uh, right. To, uh, and I forgot, you have three kids under the age of four. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is why he's in the closet. So we really appreciate it. Uh, and thank you for taking time. Really great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Colin. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.